0: So we're continuing our Why Work sermon series this morning. A couple weeks ago, we started out with talking about God's vision for our work, that God wants us to make things and to take care of this world that He's put us in. Next week, we'll continue by looking at how God enables us to be really content in the work that we have, and yet also how God pushes us never to just settle in the work that we have. But today, we're going to talk about when work goes wrong, when work goes goes wrong we'll have two texts this morning a few verses from genesis 3 and then a few verses from genesis 11 let's read to the woman god said i will greatly increase your pains in childbearing with pain you will give birth to children your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you and to adam he said because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which i commanded you you must not eat it Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. And then we'll turn over a few pages to Genesis chapter 11 and read the first four verses there. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. This is God's word for us today. This morning we're going to talk about three ways that work goes wrong. Work becomes toil, work becomes oppressive, and work becomes an idol. Toil, oppression, and idols. All kinds of fun things we'll be looking at this morning. First, work becomes toil. Our work can be just a meaningless grind. Mike's a factory worker. His job is to put certain things on a rack lower the rack into a vat of paint, lift it up, and take the things off. Put the pieces on, lower, raise, take it off. Put it on, take it off. Put it on, take it off. Put it on, take it off. Day after day, week after week, year after year. All day, just the same meaningless routine. And a lot of blue-collar jobs, a lot of us who work with our hands might feel like that sometimes. You pick up the garbage, and you know the next week people are going to have more piles on the curb. You empty out the porta-potties and people fill them up again. You fix the machine and you got to go and fix the next machine and the next one and the next one. And white-collar jobs, office jobs, often have the same kind of pattern. Peter's an office worker. He pushes paper across his job all day, reports about sales packages, reports about in and outs, report about sales targets, met or missed, reports about the next set of sales targets. And then he puts together reports about the reports that he's put together. And then at the end of the month, he has to put together a report about the reports that he reported on before when he was reporting. And then he has to go to a meeting about the report, that, and it just goes on and on and on. And after people look it over once, all that stuff just goes in a file, and no one ever looks at it or cares about it again unless he made a mistake, and then he hears about it forever. We've all got to do the same stuff over and over and over. We clean things up so that other people can make them dirty again. We generate reports so that we can generate more reports. And Genesis 3 has something to say to us about that. The world is cursed. Verse 17 actually says, Cursed is the ground because of you. It's particularly focused on farming, on growing crops there. But that word for ground can also mean the whole earth. The whole earth, the whole world, and everything in it. Is cursed. All of our occupations, all the work that we do is done under the curse. And then verse 17 continues through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Because the world is cursed, our work often becomes just painful toil. Our work becomes meaningless because we human beings have turned away from God. When Adam and Eve sinned, they turned away from the living God toward the dust. They turned from life to death. They turned from the meaning of the universe to meaninglessness and pointlessness. Because we've turned away from God, our work becomes just toil. So what do we do about it? Well, work can be toil, but even through work that seems meaningless, we can serve God And we can serve other people, even through work that seems meaningless. The Christian faith tells us that God cares about all of our lives, and that means He cares about our work. And it also means that everything we do, every single thing we do, can be done in service to God. Every little task that we have, we can reframe it as service to God. In some sense, God has called and equipped you to be exactly where you are. Now, that doesn't mean that you have the greatest job you could ever have or that you have perfect work or anything like that. But it does mean that God cares about what you do every single day. It means that your work matters. If you do your job well as a way of serving God, then your work matters really does matter. And even if the only meaning that your work has is that through it you are trying to do your best as a way of showing gratitude to God, even then that's real meaning and real worth. Even if your job is just running parts through a machine or skimming through spreadsheet after spreadsheet, you can do it to serve God. And that can give meaning to your work. And what's more, through our work we're often serving other people far more than we realize. Bryce was going on a weekend expedition once, and he got stopped by a construction crew on a two-lane highway. So they closed off one side of the road, they were fixing it up, and traffic was taking turns going down the other side of the road. And so, of course, there were a couple signalmen standing out there with those signs that say, stop on one side, slow on the other. And every five minutes or so, they'd talk on their radios, and the two of them would flip their signs around and let the traffic go one way or the other. Five minutes later, get on the radio, switch the signs, back and forth all day, stop, slow, stop, slow, stop, slow, stop, slow. And Bryce was thinking, man, what kind of job is that? This guy's just standing there in his construction outfit in the sun, hour after hour, and he happened to be at the front of the line, and he started talking with the guy a little bit, and he said, how do you stand this job? That has got to be the most boring thing you could ever do. And the signalman standing there had a chance to complain and whine and tell all the bad things about his work, but he didn't. Instead, and he said this apparently without any sarcasm, nah, nah, I love this job, I love this job. And you know why? Because what I do matters. Because I'm here, the guys behind me working on my crew, they stay safe. I keep them safe every day. And I keep you safe because I always make sure that there are never two cars that could ever get close to hitting each other. Every single day that I come to work and do this job, I make a real difference in people's lives. And then there was a pause and it seemed like he was thinking if he was going to say more or not. And then he said kind of quietly, you know, I'm really grateful I was led here. I'm really grateful that I have this job. Now, if a highway signalman stops slow, stops slow, stops slow out in the sun all day, if he can find meaning and a way to serve in his work, then I think there's hope for all of us. We might have to dig pretty deep sometimes, but all of our work matters. All of our work can be done in a way that serves God and serves others. But having said that, there's a complication we need to address. Sometimes work, often maybe, for your job, maybe it feels like always, work is meaningless. And that's one issue. But there's a deeper issue that work sometimes, often, becomes oppressive. Work can actually be bad. It can hurt us, or it can make us, or put us in positions where it seems like we have to hurt other people. Al is a coal miner in the Appalachian Mountains. He has to be at work every morning. He rides the elevator down, down, down into the earth. He gets on his machine, and he has to drive for one or two hours to get to the, coal fit, to the rock face where they're working the coal. And his pay doesn't start until he has his hands in the coal. All those hours count for nothing. And then he works long days in the darkness and the noise and the dust, and he's got some protection, but that dust is a killer. A lot of Al's family has died from black lung disease that they got from working down in the mines year after year. And after a long day, Al gets back on his machine. His pay stops. The minute he leaves the rock face, he drives for hours back to take the elevator up out of the darkness and go home. And the next day, he comes back and does it all over again. And he'd love to find a better job, but the unemployment rate is so high that there are no other jobs and if he makes any fuss about his working conditions, he's out the door. There's always someone else they can find. So he goes to work, breathing in his death every day. Becky's an investment banker. Her team unearthed an excellent investment opportunity that is guaranteed to bring huge returns. But the company that they would work with is odious. They mistreat their workers. The products they make really damage society. It is not, not a good company, not a good product, but it's not illegal. It might be close, but they don't do anything actually illegal. So what's Becky supposed to do? She can go after the loan and support this company that damages society, or she can sit back and let her own company lose millions and millions and millions of dollars. Teresa works for a zoo. She loves the animals. She loves her job. There's nothing else she wants to do, and her boss knows it. So he's never going to give her a raise, and every year he trims her benefits bit by bit by bit by bit. She can't really get by anymore, but nothing's going to change. Fred's a doctor. He regularly has young women coming to him wanting an abortion. They want their plan B. And he can counsel, and he can talk, and he can try to guide them on different paths. But at some point, he can't prevent people from making their own medical decisions. That particular situation, by the way, on Sanctity of Life Sunday, should remind us of the importance of supporting organizations that work to provide resources for vulnerable pregnant women. One of the best ways that we can fight the evil of abortion is by caring for pregnant women and by caring for their children. All of us, all of us face challenges at our jobs. So often we're forced into impossible choices by people and by systems. We have to do terrible dehumanizing work. We get taken advantage of by our companies. We face times when doing good is just going to cause us trouble. We have to wrestle with gray areas. We have to make terrible black and white choices. Our work becomes oppressive. And Genesis actually leads us to expect that. Again, the imagery there is of fields and agriculture, but the text tells us that the earth will produce thorns and thistles for us. And every occupation, every occupation has its own particular set of thorns and thistles. The world is broken. The world will cause us trouble and pain. Life is cursed. And sin keeps on breeding more and more sin. Evil permeates every aspect of our existence, including our work. Whatever field we're in, work can become so oppressive. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with that? As believers, as believers we're called to fight and to hope for the kingdom of God. We're called to fight and to hope for the kingdom. For right now, we're called to fight the power of evil. We're called to make sacrifices, to do our best to exercise wisdom, to fight for justice. Now, I hesitate a little bit to push this point too much. As pastors, we have our own particular sets of challenges and troubles. But I don't know what a lot of you face day to day, week to week. I don't necessarily know the pressure points that you're facing at your job. I don't necessarily know the difficult things that you have wrestled with and the dilemmas that you face every day. I don't want to sound like the armchair quarterback who gets to sit back and tell everyone else, well, do it better. Do it better. You can handle it. But still, still, even with that concern, I have to say that sometimes, even in our work, we're called to make sacrifices for the Lord. When I think about that, I think of the book of Daniel, all the times that Daniel got into trouble for trying to do what was right. He didn't do anything wrong, and because of political power plays and other stuff, he ends up with his co-workers throwing him into a lion's den. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to let the conditions of their society and the political order dictate what they would do, and they ended up being thrown into the fiery furnace. And if you really follow God at your job, if you really are intentional about living out the faith and fighting for the kingdom of God, you are going to face fiery furnaces. There is no getting around that. If you never have to wrestle with doing the right thing at work, either you have the best job ever or you're just compromising. If you never catch a glimpse of the fiery furnace in your future, then either you're really lucky. Or you've just given up on really following God in your work. There are times we need to make sacrifices. And there are times that following God and working for his kingdom will cost us. May cost us a little bit. May cost us big. There's a place for sacrifice. There's also a place for wisdom. And this needs to come after we've talked about sacrifice. But sometimes the best we can do as believers is to make the best of a bad situation. Sometimes the best we can do, the only way that we can fight for the kingdom, is just to choose the least bad option. So Al keeps working in the coal mine to feed and clothe his children, and he just does his best to give them a better life. Becky recommends investing in that odious company, but she declines the bonus that she would get because she says this really isn't a good company. Teresa takes care of her animals, and she just suffers through. Fred refuses to sign orders for abortions, and he leaves that up to other doctors. Sometimes there are no perfect answers. We can't fix things. And so we just pray, and we work, and we do the best we can. And then there are times that we can fix things, that we fight those battles, that we seek to bring justice in this world the best we can. If we're an employer, we try to treat our employees the best we can. If we're part of a company, we work to just make things better. But then there are also times we just have to suffer through. Sometimes we can't make things better, and that's all there is to it. But thankfully, the battle doesn't end with what we do. When Jesus came, one of the first things he said in his public ministry was, The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. And then Jesus talks about how he comes to proclaim freedom for the oppressed, to bring sight to the blind, to proclaim freedom for prisoners. Jesus comes to set us free from sin and evil. And we can see that in our lives to some extent now. But even more than that, it gives us hope for the future. Even when work is oppressive and impossible, we can look forward to Jesus' return when it seems like we have no good choices, we do the best we can and we look to Jesus for hope and Jesus will not disappoint us. Even when work is at its very worst, there is hope in the coming kingdom of God. So far this morning, we've just talked about situations that might lead someone to say, I hate my job, I hate going to work. But there's an opposite problem that some of us have. Some of us love work too much. Some of us just can't stand not working. For some of us, work becomes an idol. It becomes our God. You've probably met someone like Maria. Maria's on the fast track career-wise. She works long hours, takes on extra projects, does everything she needs to do. And she's got this plan. She's going to go from agent to supervisor to manager to partner to the next bigger company and on and on and on and up and up and up. And her whole life is about that career path. And John doesn't care at all about the career path, but he is intensely devoted to his job. He works all the time. He always introduces himself by what he does. Everything in his life is wrapped up with his work. When he does take vacations, which he hardly ever does, but when he does take vacations, he always takes work along. Retirement scares John. He can't imagine a month, a day, without his work. If work is just a burden for some people, for others it's an obsession. Job idolization is a real thing. People idolize their work when it becomes the most important thing in their lives. You've probably heard the term workaholic, and that's, that's kind of what I'm talking about here. And like a, a lot of other addictions, workaholism gets its fingers into us bit by bit. We start out by feeling good about our work. Work gives us a sense of accomplishment, of meaning, and so we love it, and we do it more and more. But as time goes by, we need to keep working more and more to get those same good feelings. And then eventually, the addiction switches and all of a sudden now, we aren't working to feel good, we're working so we don't feel bad. Anytime we aren't working, we feel guilty. Anything that takes away from our career has to go. And as we abandon other areas of our lives, as we get more and more focused on our career and other things get worse and worse, more and more work becomes our coping mechanism. It becomes our great hope and our only joy. Workaholism idolizing our work is just another symptom of the drive that led the ancient people to construct the tower of babel the people gathered together and they made a plan they said come let's do this let's build a city and a tower and the key part of those verses is when they say come let's make a name for ourselves the building wasn't really about the building It was about making a name for themselves. It was about a desire to be great, to determine the shape of the world, to construct their own identity, to be powerful and famous like the gods themselves. And the problem at Babel, the problem with our work today when it becomes an idol, isn't usually actually with what we're doing. As we talked about a couple weeks ago, God made us to be workers. God made us to be creative, to build things, to make things. Work is a good thing. Work can be a great thing, but work cannot be the ultimate thing. Babel was supposed to be a gateway to godlike powers. Instead, it was a gateway to continued confusion and chaos. When we make an idol out of the work of our hands, it, lead us, it leads us into chaos. And if we succeed at our work, this just gets worse and worse. We get more and more tied to it. Our identity becomes founded on it. We keep on pushing and pushing, building and building our kingdom. And eventually our pride comes to consume us. As we think more and more highly of who we are and the work we do, we fall farther and farther away from God, who God meant us to be. And then if we fail, it's Devastating. If we lose our jobs or we don't get the next promotion or anything goes wrong, all of a sudden our whole identity is gone. Our lives are shattered. If work is our idol and we succeed, we lose. If work is our idol and we fail, we lose. Work is a great thing, but it is a terrible, cruel, merciless God. If you idolize your job, you will suffer. Work becomes an idol, but in Christ, we can find a new identity. Jesus gives us a new and better identity, and there's a smaller and a bigger picture here. In the smaller picture, let's think for a minute about why we choose the jobs that we do. What's the goal in our careers? Often when we make an idol out of work, it's fundamentally a selfish move, We want the cool factor of that particular job, or we want the money, or we want something that we think will make us better. And we think, if only I get that certain job, I'll get those benefits, and that will make my life worthwhile. But what if we reframe our work to be about how we can serve others? What if we ask, not how can I get the most prestige, or the most money, or the coolest job title? but with the gifts and the abilities that God's given me. With who God has made me to be, how can I best serve others? One way to avoid idolizing our work is by asking how can I work to serve others, not just to benefit myself. Now I'm not saying, if you're thinking about a career, I'm not saying don't pursue your dream. Go after your dream, find a great job, find something that fits you, But even as you pursue that dream, let that be a way of serving others, not just fulfilling your own needs. And the thing is is that pretty much every job, pretty much every job gives us the opportunity to focus on other people. Medical professionals can help ease people's pain and improve their quality of life. Financial services people can help promote and support things that actually do good in the world. Graphic designers and marketers can help connect people to good, worthwhile projects. Accountants can ensure that people do things right, that businesses toe the line and stay ethical. The key is to pursue a job that fits your abilities and that enables you to serve others. Work shouldn't be self-centered. And we're much less likely to make our work an idol when we focus on how we can serve other people through it. So that's the smaller picture. But the bigger picture here is that when work becomes an idol, Christ comes to us and he offers us a totally new and different identity. When we make work our idol, when we become all about our career, we live as if our work can save us. When we find our meaning and our purpose in what we do at the office or at the work site, we're in grave spiritual danger because we are looking to our work for salvation. And so sometimes we need to step back and we need to pause and we need to ask ourselves where do I really find my identity? In my heart, what is my identity? What do I say first? Do I say, hey, I'm a plumber or I'm a pastor, I'm a man," I'm a doctor? I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm a successful retiree. I'm an accountant. I'm a zookeeper. Those are all great things, but they cannot be the center of our identity. There is one thing and one thing only that we can really build our identity on, and that is Jesus Christ. Everything else, everything else will consume you and leave you empty. And work is no different. If you seek to find your meaning, your purpose, the stability for your life in your job, it won't be there. You will lose one way or the other. Work has no salvation to offer us. But Jesus does. Jesus gives us a new identity. In all the parts of our lives, including our work, Jesus Christ gives us a name. It's His name that lasts beyond any of our accomplishments or endeavors. Only in Jesus do we find true freedom. Only in Jesus do we find a God who gives us life instead of taking it away. Sometimes our work becomes just a burden, but we can do even the most meaningless work in a way that honors God. And even in the most mundane of occupations, we can make other people's lives better. Sometimes our work becomes oppressive. It requires us to make real sacrifices, to do our best in terrible, impossible circumstances. But as Christians, we have hope. When we face hard times today, we can find hope in the kingdom of God, and we have reason to try to make the world better. Jesus brings freedom from oppression. He undoes the curse in our lives. And sometimes we make work an idol, and we let it take over our lives, But the true God, the only true God comes to us in Jesus and he gives us a new identity. We Christians, we already have the greatest name. We belong to Jesus Christ. And no other name, no accomplishment, no amount of money, no prestige, nothing else can measure up to that. Even when our work goes wrong, we belong to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In Christ we have all the identity we'll ever need. Live in Christ and you'll be able to carry on even when your work goes wrong.